Yeah, there are some weird ideas about Dominic. That, that is for sure. Uh, it has to do basically with the idea of praying for those who have gone on before us. It's literally, in Old English, All Hallows Eve, the eve of All Saints Day, which is the next day, November the 1st. And so it was meant to be a reminder of those who've gone on before us, that we pray for them, keep them in mind. And All Saints Day is really for the little saints, because all the big saints have their own day. You know, John Paul II was yesterday. Recently, there was John the 23rd and all the recent folks. So, really what we shouldn't do on All Saints Day is have all the kids in Catholic schools dress up as their favorite saint. They probably should dress up as their grandma. <laughs> or their grandfather. Or maybe their favorite sister. Or maybe a, even a priest. I doubt it, but that, that could be a possibility. <laughs> Someone who has died and was influential in their spiritual growth. So before talking more about Halloween, I want you to think about who brought you here? Who has been your spiritual mentors? Hopefully more than one who tried to teach you about the faith, who tried to maybe bring you to the Catholic Church. A few of you are married to the person who brought you here, and maybe he or she dropped you here. <laughs> you know? We're not going to have any of this separation business, you know? Uh, maybe a fiancé. Or maybe you were a searcher and you were looking at this thing that the other night I had dinner with a lovely family that I've known since I've come here, uh, maybe 15 years, come here to the parish. And he was raised Jewish. And he became Catholic about 20 years ago. I was not my asking him Monday night, he said, I am so happy to be a Catholic. He said, I never was quite comfortable being a Jew. Didn't quite make sense to me, but Catholicism makes sense. I was kind of blown away. I didn't ask for him to do a, an apology for becoming Catholic, but his comment made me believe that that's what we're about. What makes sense? Because we are rational beings. And God gave us a mind. Now, I'm a teacher, so I'll jump in right away, right away to say that my students don't use their minds as much as they should. But that's okay. Uh, folks have said that on a good day, we use about 10% of our ability. And I'm thinking, wow. If I could get up to 25, I'd be a genius. <laughs> what do you think? That 
God is not so mysterious. Life is not so mysterious that we can't come to some rational understanding of why we are here and what is expected of us. That there is right and wrong and there's common Common sense is not very common anymore. But the idea that, yes, and one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is, yes, there is judgment and accountability. And we will be held responsible. Now, the good news, of course, is that the Lord is merciful and kind. And He loves us more than we can imagine. And it is my hope and faith and experience that He does move us to accept His love and His mercy. I have seen people come around to that in their last hours of life when they realize that, yeah, their life was a mess, but now they believe that the Lord loves them as they are. And therefore, they can throw their lives into His arms and believe in life everlasting. Okay? So before. I'm going to go back to Halloween for just a little bit. Before doing that, does that sound like good news to you? That we're basically pretty good people. Evil people wouldn't come to our CIA <laughs> But we're not very good people. We, we miss a lot of things. Actually, the word for sin Greek means to miss the mark. We, we miss. And we know we should have done different, should have done better. But the Lord understands. St. Paul put it marvelously in 1 Corinthians. Why do I not do the thing I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. Can you relate to that? I do things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Who will save me? It goes on and on. That's how we have that. The Lord Jesus. That is our God. Who will save us? Uh, more about how we before I get to that. Different cultures had different times where this idea of the night before actually New Year's is connected to New Year's. And seemingly, uh, this Halloween time is based with the idea that uh, the darkness of winter has come to its apex and is now going to get a little better. Now, that means November the 1st is a little early to the uh, winter solstice, but that's the idea that we come to, everything is dead, the trees have died, there is cold and snow on the ground, northern Europe, cold and snow on the ground, and there is the sense that we have to hope for spring. And that got kind of connected to 
New Year's. Uh, in Italy, not so much about living the dead, but giving new life. And what the Italians do in some cities is they throw stuff out the window. As a sense of, you know, break dishes and all, as a sense of a new beginning. Uh, so, Halloween is about remembering those who have come on before us, who have taught us, and they're now with the Lord, we remember them and pray for them. Not some of the other things that we do. Uh, so, have a safe and holy All Hallows Eve. But, after saying that, let's, let's talk about where you are right now. In terms of the end of the world, the end of time, your own maybe death and judgment, does that scare you? Does it make you feel like you have little hope? Will anybody honestly tell me where they are? Oh, God. Nobody's ready to die. That's not what I'm talking about. But are we, do we just sort of block it out? We're afraid to even think about it. Anybody? Yes. Tell me your name again. Julie. Julie. Um, so I've been working really hard over the last couple of years to move away from the movie version of like Armageddon, this idea of like, they're all wrong. Right. So, like, to get that out of my mind and to understand that, like, to not be afraid. So, like, I, that's for me, that's where I am. Like, working through that it's not something to be scared of, that, like, it's it's what we long for. And so to long for it rather than be afraid of it is, is kind of where I am in my journey right now. Uh -huh. To put aside what the world thinks of it mm -hmm. and get to what Scripture tells us that it's like. Okay. Anybody else brave enough to say something? Again, it's not about the saying that you're, you know, you're ready to die. That's not what I'm asking. But you have, and you're going to have to, kind of talk about it with someone in your family or a loved one. Uh, I'm going to get to him. Uh, struggles. So, what do we say? Yes. And your name is? Yannick. Yannick. Yes. What would you say? Uh, to me, it's actually uh, a difference between the end of the world and the end of yourself. Because you know that you're going to die. That's a process that's going to happen. Sure. But now, when is the world going to end? We're going to talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's, that's where I'm kind of struggling between those two. But would you accept that? For you, the world ends when you die, for you? Yes. Okay, that, that's an easy way of looking at it, huh? Uh, yeah, it doesn't in the mind of God, but it'll end when the Lord decides to end it. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yes, okay. Yeah, you mentioned Pope John the 23rd a minute ago, and it, it, coincidentally, I was, maybe it's not a I was having a conversation with a friend of mine today. As I recall, when he was on his deathbed, he said, my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. And I, I pray for that kind of peace, where he 
The yeah. gangster trio made a song. Perhaps it's not a different context. Leaning on the jet plane. Like All my bags are tight. Ready to go. I'm standing out of the way. I'm sorry, I'm terrible. <laughs> You're right, huh? Sure. And where I wanted to go with this conversation is that the people that I have been privileged to sort of walk with as they came close to their death is that they became very peaceful. It was a family of understandably. And so one of the things we need to know how to do as faithful Christians is how do we speak about this kind of final mystery in our lives and in their lives. It's one thing to say I believe in the resurrection, but another thing to, to find a way to express that to loved ones who were struggling with the death of one of their people or a tragedy. Uh, Monday night, before I had dinner with this lovely family, I had a very tragic funeral. A young man and his girlfriend, 22 years old, don't know how old she was, but they were vacationing in Puerto Rico and they went to the Yunque, which is a rainforest in Puerto Rico, and they got caught in a flash flood and both drowned. We had those in the hill country, by the way. You might have heard of some of those creeks where there was rain. The water is like four, five, six feet high, and it comes through. And if you happen to be in the creek at the time, you're in bad, bad shape. Uh, the family was pretty strong. I was, I was impressed. But the Lord takes care of us. Luckily, they chose at their second reading, Romans 8, if God is for us, who could be against us? Mm -hmm. but wherever we are, whenever these things happen, the Lord is there. But, yes, we have to find a way to speak about how we believe in the resurrection and the life. So, I'm glad you came back. I thought you left. <laughs> so, let's, um, any, any other tangents from this? I just want to sort of put it in that context. Okay. Our faith tells us, to put it in the bigger text, That God created all things out of nothing. Once there was nothing, and then life and earth and we came to be. How that came to be? Maybe science and paleontology and physics, quantum physics or whatever. 
can tell us. But our faith says, however it came to me, I, I like to use the phrase, if you believe that there was a big bang, as long as you say God did the bang, then we're okay. But we are the fruit, the apex of his creation. You all have heard this and you know this. Uh, that we were made in his image and likeness, yes. And that means not so much that we look like God, but God looks like us. Turn it around a little bit. Poor God. Anyway. <laughs> that we are the apex of his creation, the apple of his eye. And he made us, as the old Baltimore Catechism put it, to know and love and serve which we don't always do so well. And as Revelation tells us and experience proves, somehow, through Adam and Eve, the first parents, however we look at that, it's mythological history that is absolutely true, not biologically perhaps true. Although, some years ago I read an article that they could kind of prove using DNA that they could go back to an original mother. Who I think they named was it Julie? I forget what they named that one. Lucy, thank you. I knew it was an E. And Julia, Lucy, or Nancy, or something. Uh huh. Now, that is fascinating, which doesn't prove, but it certainly comes close to saying that you and I would come from right here in this room, many different continents and countries, and yet we have the same blood. We, that's why all this fighting and war and refugees is just such a horrible scourge. Sinful, for which some people are going to have to stand in judgment. Okay? So, kind of going through salvation history because that, that's what gives sense to the last point. So because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and of course they blamed the snake, which I always like. You know, Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the snake. We were cast out of paradise, wherever God was. And as Paul put it, through the sin of one man, the disobedience of one man, death and sin entered the world. And that's what our experience tells us. That yes, we're going to die. We are fragile. And as you get older, you realize how fragile you are. 
that things don't work anymore like they used to. I like to tell this story. I was teaching a bunch of permanent deacons about the new general instruction on how we do that. And it talks about what deacons should do, they should kneel, unless, of course, uh, you are elderly and can't kneel. And, of course, one loudmouth deacon raises and will defy the elderly. <laughs> I'm pretty quick on my feet, so I simply say, elderly means that when, that you get to a point that what used to work, don't work for me. <laughs> they got the idea. We, but we were meant, this is the point, we were meant to live forever. And we will. But we needed a Savior, and you know the story. So the Lord Jesus came, became human, that's Christmas. and taught and did miracles, uh, chose a group of apostles, which gives me hope because some of those apostles were very swarthy. You know? uh, and he tried to teach us you know, in a very simple way that we needed to love one another. The two great commandments were three or three. Love God, love my own soul, love your neighbor as yourself. And guess who's the hardest person to love sometimes? Yourself. Even you, although you look like the sweetest person in the state. Yeah. Because God loves us. That was Jesus' message. The Pharisees and the scribes, of course, didn't like that. And so we, we know the story. Let and Holy Week and funeral. You hear the story of how he was arrested and scourged and crowned with thorns and crucified. You know that story very well. It's the core of our faith that Jesus died. And if you haven't been to Holy Week because you haven't I want you to look forward to Palm Sunday and Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday and the second Sunday of Easter, those great days. They are magnificent. Oh, we have Christmas first, that's pretty nasty. This is the core of our faith that Jesus took our human nature, which has the weakness. As I mentioned earlier, we do what we don't want to do, and not do what we want to do. There are fancy words for some of our perverse desires, like concupiscence, and you'll hear more about that. Desiring things that aren't good for us. And he took all those sins, and he died. Some theologians call it the great exchange. That he took our place. We should be condemned for our disobedience and our lack of love. But in him, we are loved. 
And so the Triduum, three days, always ends with the resurrection. That you and I are a resurrection people. We believe in life after death. We do. And actually, those of you who are baptized in whatever church, in a theological sense, you have already died. St. Paul, you notice I use him a lot, but he's pretty cool dude. St. Paul, in Romans 6, talks about, do you not realize that you who were baptized were baptized into his death? And if you were baptized into his death, you will share in a like resurrection. And that's why we don't have it here, but some churches do. We have the possibility of baptism by immersion. That's how the early church did it. Where you go down into the water and come back up. Or at least go down in the water and pour it on you three times. Here we just have water poured on you three times. But a sense of dying to the old. So those of you who are catechumens and are thinking about baptism, you become a new person in Christ. Oh, I hate to tell you this. You will still have the same old habits and temptations. But you will have a new relationship with the Lord, and He is faithful. And that's why we have terms like we live and we die. So the resurrection is our goal. And indeed, every time we celebrate the Eucharist, every time we pray, we pray as children of the resurrection. Okay? So this is the core of our faith. And let me say something more about dying. Our funerals are really fantastic celebrations of faith. Go, I shouldn't say this, but I don't care. Go to a Protestant funeral. They, well, they don't even have a candle. They can't hold a candle. <laughs> the idea of the Paschal Mystery with the Easter candle, the Paul, which represents our baptism, the Holy Water. Those are baptismal, the incense, the beautiful prayers. The funeral I had on Monday, he was a musician, and so we had some marvelous music done by the Episcopalians, which was good. <laughs> and they sang some marvelous things. Uh, this is part of our faith uh, that we believe who join the angels and the saints, who, by the way, are marvelous singers. Okay? So, this is, uh, I hope I'm not boring you. I'm hoping that you are thinking this is a pretty good thing. I need to find a way, even in sadness, 
to speak lovingly about my faith, your faith, and the fact that this is not the end. Okay? We're called to something far, far, far greater. So when you hear about somebody like Steve Jobs, who died leaving a tape that this was it, there was nothing more, I'm very sad. Supposedly, Stephen Hawking did the same thing, the great uh, physicist, you know, the one who's all crippled in his wheelchair. No, we have better news. Uh, Stephen Hawking also thought that we we're here because of chance. Uh, which, okay, I'm a fairly smart fellow. Doesn't make any sense. Some of you have a scientific background. If you say we are here out of chance, which means like one out of a billion, billion, whatever, where are the other billion, billion messengers? Think about it. Logic. We have these, are you with me? There should be a big mess out of it out there. We should be, we should be living in caves, protecting ourselves from the mess. The zombie So no, we are incredibly marvelously made, and we were intended to live forever with our Father. So the resurrection. Uh, that this is the center of our lives. Uh, that we in baptism were meant to live forever with Him. And that's why many of the images of funerals connect the baptism, and they do. Okay. So that's the great Paschal mystery. But there's one more component, which is the second one. Now, maybe you remember about 10, 15 years ago, there was this big rage about all these books written about the people left behind. Remember that at all? It got, they wrote all kinds of books and he made lots of money. But the strangest thing is they got kind of weird. They got, they misread scripture and they started talking about those who will be saved be taken up and those who aren't will be left behind. Well, that makes God rather limited and chintzy. He wants all to be saved, not just a few. But then they got weirder. They, they, they would say things like, you can't take anything with you. And I remember 15, 20 years ago more, this character on some kind of news program saying, yes, in the the rapture, that's the word they use for it. Uh, anything that's not original, you cannot take with you. So, false teeth and, <laughs> and filming to be left on the ground. And if you have a prosthesis, it'll be left. Uh, 
pin in your hip, the pin will be like, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that silly? Missing a whole point. Again, remember we are people of reason. And reason tells us that he gave us a mind to do, and medicine can do incredible things. So if medicine can fix us up to live a few more years for five hours, So, the 
the idea that we pray for the fullness of the kingdom and the Lord will come in glory to judge. So, another sort of personal question, do you fear judgment? Don't I judge too personally? The Lord won't know.
foe. Let's talk about the great parable of the final judgment, Matthew 25. It's the sheep and the goats. You remember that, maybe? When the Son of Man comes before all his people, before all the nations, he will divide them like sheep from goats. I've always felt sorry for the goats because the goats were on the wrong side. <laughs> he will say to the sheep, Bless because you know what he's going to say? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. <coughs> I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was nude and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. Come into the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of time. Okay. And they will say, well, no, 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 no. when did we see you? And he will say, when you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Then he turns to the ghost. Away from me! Because you did not feed me when I was hungry, give me the drink when I was thirsty, clothe me when I was naked, visit me when I was sick and Had we known it, we would have visited you. When do we not do this? Oh, you didn't do it for the peace. So that to me is really what is the epitome of judgment. That the Lord will ask him, did you love me, love your neighbor as yourself? How generous were you? I don't want to get into politics, but I sense there's a whole lot of selfishness out there. People who don't want to give to those who are a little different, poor from another country, or whatever. Of course, structural issues. But the people. And we're letting our cities and our inner city schools and health care go to hell. Nobody wants to pay a little bit so that folks can maybe rise above where they were. Okay, I'll jump in and say, right away, the dead laziness is also a sin. I'm saying. And I've met a few lazy students in my life. I'm saying. But they are not the majority. All of you are here because somebody cared and gave you a chance. Mm -hmm. And you took it which is, first of all, God's gift. We are not Pelagian. We didn't. Pelagius thought we could save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We, we did not pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Somebody helped us. Okay? And so I think the first commandment to love God with all your mind, heart, and soul 
means we've got to, to recognize him, but then love our neighbor as ourselves. So, so as we approach the Christmas season and then Lent, what are your plans to be more generous? I'm not talking about necessarily a whole lot of stuff or money or finances or whatever, but just. I think you would agree that our most precious commodity is our time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, none of us are too busy not to spend a little time with one another. And that's why I sometimes pop in and say hello. And you are welcome to grab a hold of me if you have something you want to ask. doesn't have to take long. Uh, this is what we do. We have to care for one another. And we have to care for our poor world. We have more refugees and immigrants in this world than we've ever had before. So something is important. And the judgment that Matthew talks about is about nations. There's individual judgment too, but nations. How we live as a country, as a people. Uh, so, all those things are there. Uh, to keep in mind that there is judgment. And so, that is something we need to keep in mind so that we can live better. This is the only time we have. So we have to live each day the best we can. Maybe one of the temptations in this too. One is to worry too much about the future. Being anxious about anything. The other, maybe even in one sense more deadly, is to drag all the crap from the past. Ken, I'm not going to ask you where you are. Maybe both places. We have to live today. And to do the best we can. Seeking forgiveness for the past, trusting that tomorrow but we'll deal with tomorrow when we get Not meaning we don't do what we got to do, but not worrying about how that's going to work. And then let me ask this not so difficult. How many of you are a little bit perfectionist? I'm not saying that you shouldn't rewrite stuff and do Just do it! I tell students who struggle to write papers, write the middle part first. You know, what do you want to say? How do you want to say it? What are your points? Write it down. I'll put it in the computer. And then, massage it. And then think about introduction and a conclusion. You know, those are the hardest parts. So a lot of people start with the hardest part and never, never get it. 
I had one infamous seminarian. He didn't make it. When he wrote papers, and he owned up to it, he said that every night he sat down, he had a thought, and he wrote the, wrote the thought down. And his papers were five, six, seven pages of just thoughts from 20 days. <laughs> no, that ain't what we look at. Again, we are reasonable, rational people. There is a beginning and an end, and something to say in the middle. Mm -hmm. That's our life. You didn't decide to come. You were born and you were here. And you're not going to decide when to die. At least you shouldn't. That's a whole other story. But the Lord decides. What we have control over is this middle. So let's do it well. But there is death and there is judgment uh, and a second coming. We, we often pray for that second coming in the Eucharistic prayer for the Lord to come in glory. And so there is this there is this time between when people die and the second coming, maybe thousands of years or most. How do we think about that? It would not be correct that the folks up in heaven, like your grandma, is looking down and saying, and what you write? <laughs> I don't think that's what that's about. Because they're not in our time. They are in God's time. And so while there is this time difference between when different people die, thousands of years or more in heaven there is no time in our sense there is only the present okay God has no past no future he just is he be I be <laughs> and therefore he I think, and a wise Dominican kind of put it this way, that when we die, we enter into God's time. And therefore, all the past and all the future that we want to know is made present to us in God's mind. Think about that. Also, there's two judgments, but uh, in many ways, they're the same judgment because it doesn't change. We're judged when we die, and there's a judgment at the end of time. Uh, once we are judged, and it's my hope and my prayer that the great majority of people will be open to God's mercy. That's what we have to hope for. And therefore, we'll be saved. Let me ask this question. Do you think that non-Christians have the possibility of salvation? Have you had a class on that? Yeah. They do. Now, they will be judged. 
So a good without the Chinese will have to put up. He'll be judged. Or what we talk about, good for nothing Russian. Or good for nothing American. We will be judged. Okay? Not by us, but by the Lord. Or any kind of terrorist from any country. They will have to own up to what they believe we did. But anyone who just tries to do the best they can and is open to life of some kind, I think the Lord will act enough grace for them to do that. So, uh, I'm not sure what heaven is going to be like. We do know that it will be loving and peaceful and joyful. And because there is no time, it will be beautiful. Somebody put it this way, we will know the people we knew in the way that we knew them. So your grandmother will look like your grandmother, but your sister may look just like you remember her when you were 20. Ah, who knows? Nobody's come back to But it's going to be nice. And that's what's important. But in the mind of God, we pray for the dead. All the prayers that we say for those who have died, the funeral mass, the masses, the prayers, and around the bed, the anointing of the sick, or whatever, will be there. The Lord has them in His mind. So that's why we pray for those who have died. After they have because that's part of God's life. That has made sense to me. We shouldn't have to worry about that. Therefore, there is no time in purgatory. Benedict the 16th wrote his second encyclical on it. So if you're really curious, it's a fairly easy read. It's his second encyclical on hope, space and Latin. And in chapters 46, 47, 48, he talks about purgatory. He uses 1 Corinthians 3. Okay. And then he says that the time in purgatory is not chronological. It's not. That's how it It is the parts. What a lovely image. The hearts. That's Benedict XVI, second cyclical on both. Latin website has it. Space Audi. S P E. Sigmark S A L D I. And there it is. And if you've ever gone on the Latin website, all the material there is in English. Or Spanish, or Portuguese, or Chinese. Yeah, everything they put in the Chinese. And then you've got to check on whatever language you want. Oh, but in the one, the English translations have lots of problems. I'm 
using a document in one of my classes on popular piety, and one of my students said, who translated this full of typos? We still know what it says. Well, after saying that, don't trust any translation either. So, <laughs> so uh, yes, uh, things that you might have an interest in. Where the Times idea of purgatory came from is public tenets. If you're early church, you'll have a class. There were three major sins, and two of them make perfect sense to you, and the third one was included. Murder, for obvious reasons, apostasy, leaving the church, and adultery. And the reason adultery was a major sin was because it broke the covenant that man represents between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5. And those were public sins. Murder certainly was. Eleven church people do. And let's be honest. People know who's a woman like People know if someone's been unfaithful, do they not? So in some cases, the documentation meant that. The wife or somebody else called him out. I saw you with that woman. <laughs> you know? Was that? Role play. Role play, okay. And if it was proven true, if he wished to stay in the church, he had to submit to public penance. And the bishop gave certain time. And these times will sound like the old partial indulgences. Forty days, one year, three years, five years, seven years, ten years, twelve years. That people did penance. Now they got very clever and they didn't do penance every day. They would take the penitential season. So they would do the forty days of that. The 40, Advent used to be penitential, from the 40 days of Advent. Uh, and sometimes they had a third around the time after Pentecost. And so they would do those penitential seasons for as many years as they would get. That's for that time idea. Pope Paul VI, now St. Paul VI, did away with all the partial things. But you sometimes see that in writing. Those times were stuck into heaven and connected to the purgatory. That's where the times come from. So, uh, there is judgment. We need to be purified. There is the second coming when the Lord will come in glory and judge the nations. But you and I, we are children of the that gives us great I've been yakking for too long. Top question that I drive you off the cliff. <laughs> Anything you want to know more about?
Yes, dear. Your name again is? Gail. Gail, yes. Public penances. You know, I hear about uh, St. Francis. No, marriage is not a public penance. <laughs> <laughs> I had a bit of a laugh. Go ahead, go ahead. St. Francis of Assisi. Uh-huh. When he took his father's uh, material uh, fabric, uh -huh. and then he sold it. Uh -huh. And his father called him out on it and brought it to the public square. That's right. And the bishop came. Was that not a public penance? That's slightly different. You no, know, you know, what did the bishop do? I'm not real sure. I don't remember that part. Okay, let me tell you the whole story. Uh, Francis of Assisi, his father, wanted him to take over his clothing business as a merchant. Francis didn't want to do that. So the only way Francis could get out of that was to take off all the things that connected him to his father. So he went to the middle of the square and he took off all his clothes. Some say he was even new that Okay. And his father was very insulted. And so his father was going to probably whip him and all that kind of stuff. The bishop came in, and the bishop took his robe and put it around Francis of Assisi and took care of him. Uh -huh. Well, that's a better story. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to tradition, that's the truth. That's not public penance. <laughs> that, that was not public penance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the bishop protected him, and he went on. But there is such a thing in the church of public penances. There was. Talking about today. No, back when. Oh, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. There was. Absolutely. For those three big sins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now we have more interior things, even after confession. You'll have, you have a class on that. Don't be afraid about confession. Peace of God. Yes, ma'am. Oh no, I tried to say that. What happens to people who die before the second coming? Like now? I was trying to say, and say it again, that we enter into God's time. Even if we're judged to go to heaven, whatever that is, uh, that would be also eternal. Uh, but in God's time, I was trying to say everything is present. So the, the end time is already present, just like it is when we do Eucharist, just like it is when we say the Lord's Prayer, just like it is He's present right now. So try not to think of the time between someone's death and second coming as an earthly time, chronological time. That's a different. No. Oh, okay. That's that, that's a whole other thing of the, no. the righteous and chill. Uh -huh. I didn't talk about that. Okay. Thank you. Other thought that that makes some sense. Where are they? <laughs> In heaven, with God. Sorry, What do you hear? 
It's a, it's a time is a problem. Yeah. You know, you haven't quite figured out how to think of time and eternity. Any other thoughts? I think most of you stayed awake, I think. <laughs> and happy Halloween. Taking a break. I don't, do you guys need to take a quick break? Or are you good? Why don't we? Uh, what I want to do is show you kind of a, well, not kind of, but a little vignette um, by Bishop Barron that kind of brings together Christology, the resurrection, and eschatology. He's kind of bringing that all together, and he kind of makes a case for um, for this what we believe. And so a lot of what Father Leon has talked about, a lot of what I spoke about. Um, I think really comes through on this um, on this uh, YouTube that um, Bishop Barron provides for us. So I think you'll enjoy it. It's about 12 minutes, and then we'll spend a little bit of time chatting about it. We'll try to get out of here a little bit early um, tonight. Maybe somebody can hit the lights for me. going to talk about a movie that you might have actually seen. If you haven't seen it, it's worth it's worth renting on um, Netflix.